Welcome to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, the official podcast home for all human design manifestors. I'm your host, Holly Marie, a 4-6 clinic manifester, a certified human design teacher, and a manifester who is following her own creative urge to facilitate a thriving global community of aligned, powerful manifestors. Wherever you are at in your manifester journey, or even if you are here just because you love a manifester and you want to understand them a little bit more, this podcast is the place for you. Stick around for in-depth teaching, for real-life practical tips and understandings of the manifester journey, and how to become aligned and powerful and thriving as a manifester. You are here for global impact. You are here to change the world. The time is now. The journey is yours. This podcast is your home. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. This is Taylor and this is going to be an interesting episode because I'm pretty sure I am deep diving, nose diving into a rest cycle and therefore My brain is a little bit jumbled, things come out in song, and I'm a little bit rambly. Slash, I even forgot that I was recording this episode. So, that doesn't mean it's not going to be great, so stick around. We'll just both find out together how great or not it is. So today, I really want to talk about creating peace or experiencing peace. And the reason why I say that is because I've been talking to other manifestors about their experience and how they are navigating things like money and motherhood and uh, whether or not to coach and their businesses and their relationships. And I think what it boils down to is a desire to experience peace or the absence of resistance. And I've noticed that a lot of the questions are around managing that resistance externally. But I want you to know that the peace that we feel or don't feel often originates internally. There is an internal conflict that we are attempting to manage externally. And there are things that we can do externally, decisions that we can make, or excuse me, actions that we can take that will preserve our peace or that could that could impact our peace. But those actions come from decisions that we make internally. One of the things that I think it's really important to kind of frame this episode on is that manifestors are an energy type. N- Hear me out when I say this. Most of us talk about being a manifester versus not in terms of the sacral center. So because we don't have a sacral center, but we have a motor to a throat, that's what qualifies us to be manifestors. But when you look at the overarching four types with the subgroup of a manifesting generator, the differentiation happens more so in whether you are an energy type or a non-energy type. So reflectors and projectors are non-energy types and manifestors, manifesting generators and generators are actually in a category together called energy types, meaning we are doers. Generator types are builders, manifestors are doers, but how we do the things that we do are fundamentally different. 
generator types do it through the mechanism of response. Manifestor types do it through the mechanism of initiation. But both of those actions originate with a decision, which is why it's so important that we follow our strategy and authority. All our authority does is keeps our body in sync with the actions that we want to take. It keeps us from our mind talking us into situations that our body is not prepared to live through or deliver on. So when we talk about preserving your peace or when, when let's make it more practical, when, when we're talking about how to navigate motherhood or how to make money or how to have a better marriage or how to run your business or how to be more productive or how to navigate a rest cycle, what we're really saying is there are actions I want to take And there's some internal conflict I need to reconcile so that I can move peacefully through these various contexts so that my peace is not at the expense of the actions that I take. The way that we do that, the way that we come to the conclusion or resolve our internal conflict and make those decisions that result in actions, the way that happens is through our differentiated design. Meaning you can't ask another manifester to give you the prescription for how manifestors navigate motherhood. You can't ask another manifester how they specifically make money. They can tell you the overarching structure of that, what goes into money making or making money or earning money. But what they can't do is tell you how your differentiated design will make money. Oftentimes in readings with other one, three um, emotional manifestors, I, they seem to find and, and when I get a reading from me, which I enjoy. So if that's you, sign up, Buttercup. I would love to talk to you about it. One of the first things that I love to do is show them visually the difference between their chart and my chart. In the human design space, we reduce a lot of human design to the profile authority and type so one three emotional manifestor we reduce a lot of the design to that but there are so many other aspects of design um, that make the way that we experience being a manifestor the way we experience our emotionality the way that we experience being a one three so different and it's in those little subtleties it's in those little aspects that your decisions will look different than mine where it will cost you peace in a way that it may not cost me peace and that is for you to experiment with that's for you to figure out how you go about that so in future content that I create I do plan to talk about the experience of motherhood as a manifester and what I'm learning and how I'm choosing the decisions that I'm choosing to make and I have a couple of examples um, for this episode but I just wanted to lay that foundation that first of all we are here to take action and that as action takers it really is about mastering our decision making process the action is a natural byproduct of decision making The other thing I wanted to add here is that the reason why there may have been decisions that you have made that you've not wanted to take action on. We call that procrastination or some some of us reduce that to being in a rest cycle. But what I'll say is question if the reason why you're not taking the action is because you're concerned about the impact. See, no one really knows the decisions that you've made until you start taking action. So if you don't want to 
practice with your design or play with your differentiated design or try something, um, then it could be because you're concerned about its impact on somebody else. And that makes sense. Like, let's think about this in the context of motherhood. Of course, you'd be cautious about how you practice or experiment with your design in the context of motherhood because your children are impacted by the actions that you take. You know, think about relationships. Of course, you might be, you know, hesitant to implement every decision that you've made. But here's the here's the problem with trying to protect other people from your impact by not taking action is that number one, they're still impacted. But number two, you will pay for that inaction with your peace because you are an energy type. You are designed to do. You are designed to go. The how you get that done will look different based on your differentiated design. How many motors do you have? How are any of is your authority consciously or unconsciously defined? Do you have any splits in your definition? Are your profile lines mostly um, mostly upper trigram or lower trigram? Where is your conscious profile line? So like we can look at your design and and splice out exactly, you know, ways that it might be safer for you specifically to experiment. But I want to make it super clear that no one gets a pass on experimenting and baked into experimenting is taking action and being uncertain about its impact on somebody else. So we have to reconcile that first, that you will not be able to preserve your peace or Um, experience more peace in your life if you are insistent upon protecting other people from your impact. It doesn't happen that way. But if you've made peace, if you've resolved that internal conflict with yourself and you want some examples of ways that you, ways that I have um, begun to use my authority to make decisions in service to my peace. um, So here's some examples. So One of them is in my business, playing with absence and presence. So think about those things like on a continuum, a a sense of duality. One of the things that I noticed is that I equated my presence with value. And so I noticed when I looked across all of my offers, every time I would come up with a new offer that I just swore was going to be great, it always included a live component. And As we know, generally speaking, in the manifestor experience, there are going to be downtimes. And so if every idea, every time I create um, an offer, every time that I choose to make money, it, it requires my live presence. Well, we can see how that plays out. It means that when I'm needing to be absent, I haven't prepared for that moment. And therefore, I noticed fluctuations in my in my money, in my revenue. So. One of the things that I've been playing with or experimenting with is making a more concerted effort to um, prepare for my absence, to allow my clients to experience my absence. It didn't start with creating a passive product. I know for many people it does, but I have right variables and I'm not um, designed to be super strategic in that way. So I have to I have to play where it feels most relevant to me at the time. And that, like I said, is being very right variable. But the place that it felt most relevant to play with initially was to restructure my calls and to begin um, to begin offering my calls in a very constrained period of time. 
um, instead of kind of letting them just go on and on and on. And then it, it, then it went to spending less time on social media and then it became more time on social media, but less, um, less varied content and more specific content. So people are experiencing kind of the absence of my personal presence and having being constrained to just my professional presence. So that may not resonate the way that I'm articulating it with you, but here's what I want you to know mostly is just I played with the idea of absence and presence. I began to see, you know, what does it feel like for me to ride the wave on? How, How will I navigate other people experiencing my absence and learning to find that valuable, not just for me, but teaching them to find my absence valuable. What needs to be in place for people to find my absence valuable? How do I need to be present so then when I'm absent, it increases the value of my presence? If my presence is not a commodity, then what does that mean for them? Little things like teaching my children that when I go to work or when I take time away, that that is valuable for them. And why? Is it because of what they get to do when I'm away? Is it because of who they get to spend time with while I'm away? All of those things are about re-examining the decisions I've made and making new decisions, right? So in the past, the decision was the way that I, the way that I created a valuable experience for my clients and for my family and for all of my relationships was solely through my presence. It was my impact. It was my catalytic energy. And that created one experience for myself that eventually began to cost me peace. And so now the new decisions have been how where is my next moment of clarity? How can I ride the wave on, on implementing higher value for my absence? What does that look like for me? And that required me to use my strategy and authority, emotional authority. So for you, it might be a very splenic decision. Oh, I'm not doing consults anymore. That's how they're going to experience my absence. So that's a, that's a subtle example. But here's the thing. If you come at this through, should I do consults or should I not do consults? then you're, you're missing the differentiated part of your design. Yes, mechanically, you might notice a majority of manifestors benefit from not doing something like a consult. But for you, for this moment in time, given how you're made, given the season that you're in, there might be value in doing something like a consult. I use that as an example um, because I've seen it in the group in the Manifestor Network recently. Another example of me using my authority to make different decisions in service to my peace uh, was learning to close the loop. So I'm a manifester, my husband's a manifester, but my best friend is a manifesting generator. And my sister, who is also my best friend, she is a peer generator. And both of them um, function really well on responsiveness. And One of the things I think is super important, um, and I talk about this, by the way, in this in a free mini course I have called Human Design Free Play. If you go to humandesignplay.com, you can take this free course. But I talk about the five um, kind of core principles that you'll need to understand to really to really take human design information in context and not just kind of pull Instagram post and attempt to call that practicing human design or playing with human design. One of the principles that is um, that kind of under my or under, wow, recycle brain, y'all. One of the principles that kind of 
flows underneath all of the human design is this idea of duality, that there is a two sides to every concept, to every aspect. So every gate has a gift and a shadow. Every um, chart has both openness and definition. There's always a, a inherent tension there. So one of the how that shows up in terms of my generator friends who I, who I talk to regularly is that they have a capacity for responsiveness and unresponsiveness. So they have the ability to start up a conversation with me via text and they, they can kind of hold the door open, if you will, for when that conversation will pick up again. They can kind of go do something else and then come back and check in and go do something else and come back and check in. And for them, being in that perpetual state of responsiveness doesn't seem to be very expensive for them. But for me, I am not designed to be responsive. It takes intentional effort, in my opinion, for me to respond to people. It's very energetically expensive for me to respond. And so I found myself angry and losing peace when I would be in a conversation with them and then they might disappear for a few hours and go respond to the next thing that caught their attention. And I started with wanting to ask them more questions. Hey, are you done here? Hey, are you busy? But then I needed to wait for a response for that. Again, waiting and responding to the things not here to do. So what I began doing is informing them that I'm closing the loop. And it's as awkward as it sounds to send this text message to them. But essentially, I say, hey, I'm moving on. Talk to you later. Now, really, there's it's an arbitrary amount of time. It really only has to do with when I'm done waiting. When I have decided that I'm no longer available for just the unanticipated response, they can choose to come back when they want to, but I needed them to know that they would be starting up the conversation again. They would need to inform me that we're doing this again or that we're going to pick up where we left off, but that I wasn't going to kind of remain available because I was becoming angry. It was using my energy. So that was something I had to play with. Now, for me, that felt very um, vulnerable to do that. I have the channel of community, the 3740. And so it felt like, am I, am I taking too much? Am I costing the relationship? Is, is this going to be awkward for the friendship? And, you know, it was uncomfortable at first to do that, but it felt clear to me that I cannot just endlessly wait for responses and particularly because more things come that I want to say and now I'm kind of trying to juggle two or three conversations that for them in their mind there's endless amount of time that they could respond and they're right in their world but in my world I want to close the loop on this and move on. I don't want to stay in a perpetual state of response. So informing them that I'm closing the loop is something that I've been playing with and it's worked very well for my piece. And then when I checked in with them, they were like, seems like something you need works for us. No big deal. And so I think that's an example of me, number one, experiencing anger, two, deciding, making a decision that my piece is important, it's a priority, and then riding through some of the ideas that I had for how I could do that, trying some things and them not working, um, and then 
coming to clarity around how I can make sure that I'm not constantly in a state of response, not personally and also not professionally. So closing the loop is a simple way to do that. Um, And then lastly, I wanted to give you guys kind of an example of from motherhood. So I have three children. They are seven, five, and one. the youngest is about to turn four. And they have one of each type. So I have a manifesting generator, a projector, and a reflector. And my manifesting generator um, is just, he's a one-three emotional manifesting generator. I mean, he is just all in on everything. And the older two, the projector and the reflector, we've been able to kind of come up with a bedtime routine. They're great in general about going to bed and falling asleep. No big deal. This manifesting generator, it's like he, I mean, he has his sacral center amplified and offered back to him. And he, I mean, he just goes. I mean, it is amazing. And so at night I found my manifest her husband and myself struggling with bedtime, struggling to to get him to lay down and to want to do this. Because remember, he is he has a response mechanism. And so, you know, will you get in bed? The answer could be no to that. It might not always be yes. And so we decided to play with or experiment with a flexible bedtime. So we definitely put our reflector and our projector to bed at the times that work for their bodies but for our manifesting generator it's kind of like a bedtime range so we start him in the process of going to bed around the time that his siblings go but he often stays up later than they do and he often gets up earlier than they do and he tells us when his body is tired and when he's ready to go to sleep and it has made it so that bedtime is so much less infuriating but I had to be willing to accept that he may go to bed later or he may get up earlier, that he has a different body. He has a differentiated design. And I had to trust that he has some wisdom about that experience that I may not have even a, a, gl- a little bit of access to. And when I talked to my friend who is also a manifesting generator, um, they also talk about how they have this capacity to stay up later than other people. And how they could just go and go and go, particularly when they're enjoying what they're doing. So that is another example. And I definitely, that decision to pursue a flexible bedtime was something I had to ride an emotional wave on. I was not raised in a home where children just picked their bedtime at age three. Like it wasn't um, being told no. I, I grew up in a, you know, the kind of typical northern um African-American home. And so the responses that children gave often um, often were attributed to either being respectful or disrespectful. And that has been lived into me. And so I definitely have to catch myself not taking it personal when he exerts his boundaries, when he says, I'm not sleepy. And then being willing as his mother to deal with him on the, the, on the realities of his body, not the expectations of my motherhood, of my, you know, self-concept as a mother. But again, all of that, right, is me navigating my own 
strategy and authority informing him I'm ready for him to go to bed, accepting that he has a response mechanism, coming to, you know, how do we need to handle this? Should we be more forceful? Should we be more relaxed? How late should we stay up? All of that was riding an emotional experience until I got to clarity with something that I was willing to play with try, practice with, experiment with. There was no guarantee that I was going to get more peace. But one thing that I was incredibly clear about is that whether this idea worked or not, my peace was not optional. I had decided I was going to experience peace. I was going to make decisions that served my peace. And there had to be a way to do that that didn't come at the expense of his own sovereignty and his own sense of um, self, self leadership, if you will. So I want you to know that first and foremost, you're here to get things done. And that comes from the decisions that you make. And your decision making, your mastery of your own decision making process is the key to your ability to preserve peace. If you don't want to be masterful in your decision making process, then what you're really telling me is that you're really concerned about how others will experience you and the impact that you have, the internal conflict you have about learning how Not just how you work best, but how you make the decisions that find out how you work best. If you have a conflict around that, it's likely because in the past, your external experience has been determined by other people. And that this process is what changes that. It changes when you take ownership of, no, I'm responsible for my peace. I desire peace. And I'm willing to, one, learn how to make decisions and navigate my own decision-making process, but two, they will be in service to my peace. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to offer a masterclass on making money decisions. As I've hopefully laid out, I am in a rest cycle, so feel free to holla back if it wasn't clear, but um, I want What I hopefully have laid out for you in this episode is just that the things that you want to be able to do, the things that you want to be able to have really tie into your ability to make decisions and to know what kind of decisions that you're making. And so in the masterclass I'm going to teach in a couple of weeks, it is going to be about making money decisions. I've not met a a manifester yet who has no desire to make money or to have money. Um, I have met a ton that are done with corporate versions or professional versions of trying to earn money. Um, And there is a difference. And I'll cover that in the masterclass as well. But if that's something that you would like to learn more about how to use your authority to make money decisions, then you'll want to register for the masterclass. I'll put the link in the show notes. But I'm thinking that's probably good for today. Let's give it a rest. Talk soon. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today in another episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. We so enjoy having you here and whether you are listening to my insights or the wisdom of one of our other incredibly talented manifesto specialists, we really truly hope that you have taken away power, transformation and wisdom about your own manifesto magnificence. Before you go and switch off, we would be so humbly grateful if you could take the time to either leave a podcast review right on the platform that you're listening to 
or if you feel like it, please do a share across your social media. We love to hear how each of the episodes is impacting you and we love to provide an opportunity for you to inform us via social media. So please share a story or a post about this episode and tag us at The Manifestor Community. Until next time, please manifestors keep hunting for purpose.